Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Well, it's good to see you, good to be with you today. I just want to let you know, those of you not on social media, um, I became a grandfather for the third time on Friday, so... Three granddaughters I have, okay? So, um, should be a lot of chattering at certain points in my house. And um, how many of you grandparents do you actually have like a, um, a crib in your home too, just in case? Any grandparents? Yeah, it's like my home has turned into a nursery. And so, uh, but that's okay because we prayed for hope and belief for grandkids for a long time. And now they're coming like the movies Fast and Furious, man. It's like... That's great. Uh, as far as an update on my wife, Olivia, um, she is doing so much better. Um, yeah, she really is praising. Thank you for all your prayers. Thank you for all the food you dropped off on the schedule at the house. And, um, uh, I worked from home last week, or probably this week too, to make sure she's okay. Uh, her oxygen, when she went into the hospital on January the 13th, was at 40 liters a minute. As of this morning, she's on three liters a minute. So it's dropped way down, and she's moving around, and she's got her 40-foot oxygen hose, but that's probably another week, and probably, probably be off that. <clears throat> so everything's great. How many of you did not notice that the church is being painted when you drove up today? You didn't even realize it's being painted. You, really? How many notice how much brighter this paint is? Yeah, It really pops, doesn't it? It's, it's only half done, or not even half, because of rains and wind, it really hindered them, but... I really like the colors that were picked out. Never trust me with colors. It, it will be bad if you trust me with colors. I'm, I'm not good at that stuff whatsoever. So it's going to be really cool once it's all done. Now today I start a new series. <clears throat> and it's a weird topic, I know, but it will make sense as we go along. And the title of it, but the series is Impact Events, but the title of today's message is When Right Turned Out to Be Wrong. And you'll see as we progress what I mean by that and why it's so important. Uh, this topic. I'm a, um, I'm a type A personality, and uh, what that means is if you've ever taken the DISC test, D-I-S-C, I'm the D, I'm the DISC, the dominant, or whatever it is. If you've ever taken a motivational gifts test of the Romans chapter 12 spiritual gifts, I'm the prophet motivated person. If you've ever taken a temperament test, the choleric, sanguine, melancholy, and phlegmatic, I'm the choleric. I'm type A. I'm I'm headstrong, and uh, one, of the, one of the things I, I started to do back in the 80s was I started to read up on these things because every personality type has strengths and has weaknesses. Every one of us does. Um, and, one, and by the way, how many type A's do you have here? You, at least you know you're a type A. Raise your hand. Let me tell you how you know you're a type A because you're always right, are you not? How many of you are sitting next to a type A personality? They're always right, okay. A lot of you, okay. But a type A, one of the weaknesses is they're always right. And, um, <clears throat> and they have this, it is, it is a weakness, it actually is. Um, because you go through life thinking you're right until, until certain events and scripture, whatever it is, it really kind of grabs you, seasons of life, and it changes your thinking. But I read up on this stuff and I saw that that was one of the weaknesses of it that you always think you're right. You just think you're right. And type A's, isn't it true that you have no problem telling everybody else what they need to do, right? Anybody know what I mean? And you have, and in fact, I can remember when I was like that. I really was. 
I felt like I had to be the corrector of people, walk around and correct people, tell them what they're doing wrong, this and Anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Yeah, and you know, that's a really stressful way to live that you think it's your job to go correct people. It's not your job to go correcting people. If you really want to know how to do these things, you know, you build a relationship with a person, then you can go that way. But if you have no relationship, what are you correcting somebody for? Um, but, um, but, I, but this is the way I operated, and some of us are that way. But here's what I found out um, as I went along in ministry, that yes, type A's, we always think we're right. But every one of us has a little bit of we think we're right in us. Any amens? And it just takes some really... Sometimes it's just the word of God popping at you or a crisis in life, maybe a marriage crisis where you finally see yourself for the first time or maybe a season of life that really is kind of getting you and making you reevaluate things. Those are all kind of impact events where it, you start to realize that maybe I was looking at life or this person or that thing or the job or as a boss. Maybe I was looking at these things not quite right. Maybe I was wrong. And now I'm reevaluating and I'm seeing what God says about what's the right way and how to view things right there. See, <clears throat> every one of us has a little bit of that stuff in our life. And these impact events, they come up periodically in every one of our lives. And if we play them right and operate within this word of God, then then it will lead us to a better version or better us. If we don't, then we just keep repeating cycles. And I think most of us don't want to repeat cycles. Any amens? We would like to be a cycle breaker and a cycle maker according to the word of God. So what we're going to do for about the next six weeks is we're going to look, I'm going to take certain uh, characters in the Bible and uh, look at impact events in their life. Try to pull out a specific thing from each one as I tell the story in each one with a specific question each week from that story. And that's where we're going in these impact events. Now, before I do that, let's go over our key verses for the series and then we'll go through our statement for the series. And let's put those up on the screen, if you would. And would you guys read it out loud with me all together? Would you do that? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Okay, because I really need to hear you. Here we go. One, two, three. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now, it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? Oh, we forgot to correct that. Okay, I'll read the last part of it. We'll fix it for next week. I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. How many of you are glad when church people make a mistake and you see it like that? Makes you feel better about your life. Yeah, you'd rather see me make a mistake. But anyway, so let me tell you the literal on this. The literal idea here is that Isaiah, <clears throat> he's prophesying. And he's writing it down. And he's prophesying 100 years before Israel, specifically in Jerusalem, they're um, conquered by the Babylonians and they're deported back to Babylon. In verse 18 and 19, Isaiah now is prophesying not 100 years in the future, but 170 years in the future because they will be in captivity for 70 years. And he's saying that you're going to come out 
And when you come out, he says, I'm going to make a roadway in the desert rivers, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, when you do that, it's going to be this impact event where I'm going to give you a new future. There's going to be this new thing I'm going to do. And specifically, do not call to mind the former things. Don't live the way you once lived. Don't think it's going to be that way. There's a whole new thing I'm going to do because I'm going to reshape the future. I'm going to reshape your lives. And that's what an impact event does. So with that stated, give me that statement up there that we're going to have every week. And I'm going to ask you to read this with me. One, two, three. Impact events shape the future. Now you just say it. One, two, three. And they do. And as I say that, I'm sure some of you are already thinking about events in your life that reshaped your thinking, that reshaped the direction of your life. And it changed you from this way to that way. And that's what we're going to talk about. Now, open up your Bibles to Acts 9 if you have them, or your app, or whatever it is, or your swipe right, or whatever you're going to do there. Um, but let me share with you a little bit, because we're going to look at a man named Saul, also known as Paul. This guy is a religious man. I mean, this guy is so zealous. Um, I, think it's, I think that he's more zealous for God than maybe all of us put together in this place. It, he's just that zealous, okay? Um, and he thinks he's so right. I mean, he thinks he's right. But it's going to pan out that he is so wrong in the way he views certain things, specifically Christianity, specifically Jesus Christ, and he's going to have an impact event, and it's going to shake him to the core. And he's going to realize that every, what he thought was so right, he was so wrong in his life. Now, I'm going to give you three points today, if you're taking notes. And then in point three, I'm going to give you three bullets, and then I'm going to drive that puppy home. Sound like a plan? Okay, here we go. Number one, your notes, and that's this. We typically think we, typically think we are right. And, and turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you this morning. Now, <laughs> verse 1 and 2 says this. Now watch. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. High priest of the time is still Caiaphas. And asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, the way is another term that they use there for Christianity. Both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, let me expand background so you understand what this guy is doing, what is happening. This is Acts chapter 9. Now, when it was written, it was one scroll. There were no chapter breakdowns and verses. It just went. But chapter 7, if you went back two chapters, you find the first follower of Christ being killed for his faith. His name is Stephen. They stone him to death for his faith in Jesus. If you read that story, you find the people that are stoning him to death, they took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man who's in charge of the stoning. And the young man is none other than this man, Saul, in this story. He is spearheading the um, persecution of Christians, and he's spearheading 
the first martyr, Stephen. Now, understand that this stuff still takes place around the world. When it comes to Christianity in some countries, you had better not share that faith. And if you convert somebody to Christ, they could throw you in prison for the rest of your life, if not kill you. Isn't that crazy? That these things still go on to this day. It's persecution against the Christian faith. Now, what happens after chapter 7 into chapter 8 of Acts is there's this great persecution that begins. The church is being persecuted, these first followers. And um, now what's called the dispersion, they disperse. They leave Jerusalem and they go to... um, different parts of the world to get away from the persecution. Now, side note, sidebar on that is, God never wastes a pain or a hurt. Any amens? Think about this. God had told the early church, you know, I want you to spread out, go, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world, but they did not leave. So now God will use the persecution to send them into all the world and obey what they were supposed to do. Isn't it weird how as Christians we just don't do what God says to do? Any amens on that? I mean, think of the Tower of Babel. Uh, we're not going to go and fill the, multiply through the earth. We're going to build a tower. So God says we've got to fix that. Now, they disperse. There's tremendous persecution. And the spearhead of the persecution is this guy. He's one of the main ringleaders of the persecution by the name of... Saul. And so that's your wider angle and your wider picture of what is going on in that day. Now, he, um, as he leads us, it says in verse 1 and 2 that Saul, after, you know, he's, he's going and he's hunting down Christians, he's still breathing threats. He's an angry guy. He's angry and he's got angry words coming out of him. Guys, He's angry and he's super religious. How many know that anger and religion are a terrible combination? Any amen? It's a dangerous combination because you can justify anything in your head of why you need to do that to that person and cut off that person and tell that person that. Anybody can start justifying in their head pretty soon. And if you stay in your own head, man, you get pretty dangerous at that time. Now, I'm going to be honest with you as I try to do. I I think a lot of people are angry. I've observed over the decades. This last year, pan that one out, prove that one. There's so many angry people in America. Any amens on that? You got some angry people in your family, huh? They don't listen to anything. They're just angry. You can't reason with them because their thinking's not linear anymore. Anger just distorts. There's a lot of it. Let me tell you, there's a lot of angry Christians. And there are. I've counseled many of them. Well, Jim, how do you know? I used to be one of the angry ones, okay? But I had to start dealing with myself once I realized it back about 31 years ago. See, people walk around with chronic irritation towards people or situations. Or they're chronically impatient with people or situations. They always got to, and I got to, and there's this, and it's like, really? Really? This is what you spend your time doing? What a waste. I say take that energy, find the love of Jesus, and go share your faith. Isn't that a better way to go? Why sit there and destroy a family, destroy a church, destroy because you're angry? 
And by the way, most angry people don't even know they're angry. They don't understand the difference between the two. Now, enough said about that, but the man is an angry man. Now, he's going to Damascus from Jerusalem to hunt people down. You know how far that is? 130 miles. 130 miles. They ain't got no car. There's no coastline or whatever that train is to San Diego. None of that stuff. This is, you know, you're walking. That's a long way to go. How intent is he then? He's very intent on hunting down Christians, bringing them back to, and, and killing them or setting them straight. Now let me tell you what's going on here. He thinks he's right, but in reality, he needs a rewrite. Say that with me. He thinks he's right. I'm going to start again. He thinks he's right. Oh, wait, no, to repeat what I'm saying here. He thinks he's right. But in reality, he needs a rewrite. And that's what's going on. And I think a lot of us might need some of that in our life too. Me, all, all of us here. Now, um, <clears throat> see, the, the, the problem with a message like this is this. Is that uh, you could be, and I could be sitting there thinking, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this one. <laughs> no, you're here. You and I need to hear it. Because you could be wrong on something. If you drive a car, you know something. At least you better know what I'm going to tell you. That if you're going to change lanes, switch lanes, say you're on the freeway. Now, my wife has that thing now. Beep, 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 beep. If there's a car, just, oh my gosh. Just bugs. But if you're going to change lanes, you look in the side view mirror, maybe rear view mirror. But what, what, you better do something else. And what's that? We had turn signal. I got that one. Okay, thank you for that one. I forgot to say that. Let me write that down so I don't... I'm just joking. But you better look over, right? And don't look over forever because then you've got a problem. But you look over because you have a what? You have a blind spot. That's as, as true with cars, so it is with our life. We have not a blind spot. We have blind spots. Every one of us does. There's just things that we just do not see. And so, as a follower of Christ, one of the things we should be straining hard to do is study the Word of God to get a biblical worldview. Not a cultural worldview, not a social media worldview, but a biblical worldview. We all have blind spots, and they're in little pockets, sometimes they're big areas of our life. There could be things this morning that we think we're so right in, but we could be wrong. We could be wrong if it doesn't measure up to the Word of God. Now, that's my first point. Point two is this. Here it comes. Here's the impact event of Saul's life. The resurrected Jesus reveals himself to Saul. Now, all of a sudden, this guy who's hunting down Christians, now the resurrected Jesus will appear to him. Let me read verse 3 through 6. Now, watch this. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. So he's about 130 miles away from home. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, later on, as he gives more description of the event in Acts, he says this happened at noontime. So if there's a light that flashes, then it's flashing brighter than the sun. How bright is that light then? It's really bright. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why 
Are you persecuting me? Now we know that's Jesus now speaking to him. But notice what Jesus says. Why are you persecuting me? Meaning Jesus. He didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting me? That means this. Whenever someone persecutes a Christian for their faith, who are they really persecuting? Jesus. And he takes it pretty personal. Because you're persecuting him now. Verse 5. And he said, Who are you, Lord? Here it comes, man. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, Jesus is a very common name in that day. So when he adds, whom you are persecuting, Saul now knows exactly who this is. And then he says, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. Now, let me give you a sidebar and come back to another sidebar, okay? He hears the voice of God, voice of Jesus. In that day, they didn't believe you could hear the voice of God. They said you could hear the echo of the voice of God, which was called the daughter of the voice of God, but never the voice of God. So there's another area where they were wrong in, and Jesus is setting it straight. That you can hear the voice of God. can speak to a person. And how many of you, you know that God, through the Spirit of God living in you, has dropped thoughts into your mind, lining up with the Word of God that you knew was God? That's, that should be happening. All of you should have raised your hand on that one right there. Now, the resurrected Jesus appears to him. Now, sidebar, and I'm going to say this stuff and say this stuff, what I'm going to say next to you, in different ways till you just get it. You may get so tired of me saying this, but you got to get it, especially in the day and age we live in. The resurrection of Jesus. Saul, who will be known as, also known as Paul, I think Paul was his Roman name, if I remember it. He has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Haven't you ever had somebody tell you, I just can't believe somebody could rise from the dead. The New Testament believing scholars and the New Testament skeptic and atheist scholars, there are atheists, New Testament scholars, absolutely, Bart Ehrman, absolutely, foremost in the nation of America. Paul is their darling. And let me tell you why. Because they know this man did exist. They know he's brilliant, highly educated scholar by the way he writes New Testament. They know from history that this man had some kind, something changed his life. He had a dramatic conversion. And they also know that this guy, Saul, believed that he did see the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, the atheist scholars will not say resurrected. They'll just say, well, we believe he, he saw something. But we don't believe his resurrected Jesus. He, he thought he saw something. Let me tell you something, Christians. <clears throat> Never, ever, ever, if you're sharing your faith and it comes to the resurrection, Never just say, well, you just have to disbelieve and have a blind faith. No. Our faith is not a blind faith. Our faith is an evidence-based faith. Did you know that? No, did you know that? When you read the New Testament, you have all these eyewitnesses in there. 
They're eyewitnesses of what happened. Now, skeptics and atheists will say, well, they're just converts and they're biased. Really? So a convert can't be honest and tell the truth? No. It's evidence-based faith. You even have um, non-Christian historians on that era. They even wrote that about this event and this Jesus uh, and the disciples. They, they saw him. They, they even write that. And if somebody ever says, well, Jesus never existed, because, you know, you have the bloggers who never had an education in New Testament stuff who blog, and they say Jesus never existed, even Bart Ehrman, the foremost atheist New Testament scholar in America, says, stop saying that. We know he existed, and we know he was crucified. Even the atheist says that. That's a fact. Where they get disagreement on is the resurrection, but it's an evidence-based faith. We have evidence. Now, think about this. And, and I'm just giving you a tidbit, and I'll say these things in the future again. Think about this. Jesus rises from the dead. Right after that, the church is born, and thousands are converted through Peter's preaching. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, how did that happen? Because if that body was still in the tomb, what did they just need to do? Walk 40 yards that way. That's where the tomb is in Jerusalem. The church begins in Jerusalem. We just need to go to the tomb. I'll show you the dead body right there. That's a, that's a massive evidence right there that that tomb was empty. And someone's going to say this. Some blogger's going to say, well, that 50 days later on Pentecost, that body was so decayed they didn't know it was. First off, there was no body in the tomb, Okay. Secondly, doctors have already commented and stated that in that climate, that body would not have decayed enough where you couldn't recognize who it was. But the fact remains, there was no body in that tomb. Our faith is an evidence-based faith. Never forget that. Never forget that, my friends. And that's just a little bit of many things we could say about that. Now, let me, move, let me keep going on this idea here. Paul... He has a, Am I riled up about that right now? Yeah, I think I am. Um, he has an impact event. Now, how many of you can remember what you did on this day, January 31st, 10 years ago? You can't unless it was your birthday or you got married that day and that was your honeymoon night, right? It's okay to laugh. Not about your honeymoon night. I mean. You can't remember it. But if I asked you, can you remember where you were on the morning of September 11, 2001? How many could remember? Why? Because that's 9-11. Can you believe that's going to be 20 years of September? 20 years. I can remember. <coughs> I can remember November 24, 1963. Not the day Kennedy was shot. I can remember that too. But I can remember watching on black and white TV. I mean, I was told about it. I wasn't born yet. But <laughs> no, I can remember watching I was seven years old. Jack Ruby walks up to Lee Harvey Oswald and shoots him point blank. Anybody remember seeing that on that day? Raise your hand. It's okay to be in our range of age. <laughs> See, we all have certain moments in time that we will never forget that event. Right? I mean, it's solidified, cemented into us. 
And those events affect us in life. Paul, Saul, has this moment in time, this impact event, and we all have them periodically, impact event that's just, it's cementing in his mind a new way of thinking. Now, now watch how impact events don't go away. They stick with you. 18 to 20 years after the event of that day, watch what Paul, Saul, writes in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll just read it to you. It'll be up on the screen. And verses 3 through 8, this is him writing a New Testament letter for 1 Corinthians. 18 to 20 years later, after the event, he says this. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance. He's saying, this is really important, guys. What I also received, this is what I received. This is what I was told. This is what he got from the, the other disciples when he met with them too, after the fact. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Verse 3 and 4, that statement, that's called a creedal argument. It's, a, it's very rhythmic, and before things were written down, this is the way they pass on information, they could all say that. And they can date that creedal argument to right after the resurrection. They can date it right there. Both New Testament atheists and believing scholars. It goes way back. This is early on in all these things. Now, verse 5, watch what he says. And that he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is another name for who? It's Peter. Then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, meaning they've now passed away. Then he appeared to James. Stop. Then to all the apostles. James. Who's James? His brother. Not Paul's brother. Jesus' brother. Well, it's his half-brother, right? Same mom, different dad. Now, what do you think that meeting was like? When the resurrected Jesus walks up to his brother, half-brother James, and James looks at him. What do you think went on in that conversation? You think Jesus said something like, bro, it's me. <laughs> and James converts and he becomes a believer. Now let me tell you something about James. Because in the Gospels, there comes a moment in time where him and his siblings and his mother, they all come to get their brother Jesus because what do they think about their brother? He's crazy. He's out of his mind. That's what it says. They, they think, this man, our brother's lost it, man. He's walking around like he's the Messiah. And now James converts. There's another great evidence there of the resurrection. And then verse 8. Paul writes, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. 18 to 20 years have gone by since that day in Acts. And that day is as, it's so burned into his soul. It's so cemented in his mind. Such an impact event, he never forgets it. He's still zealous 18 to 20 years later. Are you still as zealous as you were the day you got saved? Is it just still burning in you? To serve God? To find out what He wants you to do? Does Jesus' life and blood just float through your veins still? It's like, man, it's just still so impacting.
Does it? Big question. Before he has the experience with Jesus in Acts 9, Paul did not believe in this phony, baloney, new Jesus cult. Did not believe in it at all. His job was kill Christians and exterminate this new cult. But then Jesus appears to him and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Question, what's going through Paul's mind now? Paul was more than likely part of what's called the Sanhedrin who sat in judgment over one of Jesus' trials. He was probably on that court. And all they did was make up lies about Jesus. Make up lies, make up lies, make up lies. They couldn't get him on anything. They made up so many lies and they screamed it loud to finally get him crucified. That's all they did. What's going through Paul's mind now? And I'll give you a real side note here. Paul has to think to himself, I've been against Jesus all this time. But all the time I was against Jesus, Jesus was for me. You see, every, all the time that you and I were against Jesus, didn't want him, and I didn't want Jesus. Are you kidding me? That's the last thing I, I didn't want to be a Christian. He was always for me. You see, here's what's going on. Paul is sitting there going, what I thought was right, I was completely wrong. I was wrong. Here's my big question in this message. I'll have one probably every week. Here's the question. What if the scriptures were New Testament, we're all New Testament believers. What if the scriptures said something that's opposite of the way you view or operate in your marriage, at work, or you view people, or treat people, or in your friendships, or at church, or your worldview, what if it said something that's opposite of the way you think? What are you going to go with? What are you going to go with? Because that's what's happening in this guy's life. He thought he was so right. He was so wrong. Now, here's the big deal. And that's point three. A better me can be the result of an impact event. If I play it right, a better me. Now, let's read the rest of the story, verses 6 through 11. Watch this. But get up, this is Acts 9, but get up and enter the city... <coughs> And it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, no duh, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground. Now, people say he fell off his horse. No evidence that he was riding a horse or dung, nothing. We just know he fell. And though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. He's blinded. This flash from heaven blinds him. And he was three days without sight, 
He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink anything. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here I am, Lord. Verse 11. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. I've always loved that statement. Because Saul is there blinded on a street called Straight. And I love the plan words because God's going to straighten the guy out. And inquire at the house of Judas, Judas is a very common name in that day, it's not the Judas who betrayed Jesus, for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is, he is, he's praying. Very important statement in that, in that exchange right there. Let me give you three bullet point quick thoughts here. The first one is this one. Jesus will now direct Saul's steps He's going to tell him what he must do. Now, 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 now. He's going to tell him, this is the way you're going to live your life now. Do you know, if you read on in Acts chapter 9, that he immediately, he starts to share Jesus. Immediately, it says. Huh. It's a life change. If you don't have your theology down, you do have something that's so potent and powerful in your life when it comes to witnessing. And that's your testimony, is it not? How God has changed your life. What you were versus what you are now. This is so powerful because when people hear it, they don't have that. And this is what you can share. This is the life pulse, the Spirit of God flowing through me. Changed my life. I'm a new creature in Christ. The old things have passed away. They may argue with you, they may fight, but when they walk away from you, that's going to sit in that nugget up there for a long time. Or nugget. The second bullet point is this. Saul learns he is a follower, not the leader. That's an important statement. They lead him by the hand now. Before, he's calling the shots. Now, I like the implication that now he's being led. He's a blind guy. Question, whenever Jesus called a disciple, what were the words Jesus used? Follow me. Follow me. When Jesus called Peter... That first day with Peter, what did he tell Peter? Follow me. What's the last thing Jesus ever told Peter? Follow me. See, we're not the shot callers, guys. We're the followers of Christ. He's the shot caller. He's the one. And this is what Paul, Saul, is having to learn that day. Listen, listen. This is what's... Paul asked the question that day, Who are you? Later on in Acts 22, verse 10, when Paul's describing more in detail what happened that day, uh, Paul will state that he also asked the voice, what do you want me to do? Isn't that important? The two most important questions of life, who are you and what do you want me to do? That's who is God and what's my purpose in life? Why am I here? Why am I created Am I just some random thing that was created, ooze out of the ocean that became a human? What, why am I here? Is there a purpose to my life? And the answer is yes, because there is a God. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a second. The third bullet point is this. Saul is rethinking his life. <coughs> Watch. He's blind. He's not eating. He's not drinking. He just lies there for 72 hours. 
What's going through his mind after he heard the voice say, I am Jesus? Everything I thought was right is wrong. And he's trying to synthesize it all in his head. Do you know in Galatians chapter 1, a New Testament letter that Paul will write that after this happens, that he goes away for three years to Arabia? He's got to think through everything that's happened because this is an entire life change of thinking. I always thought it was this way. There was no Jesus. It was phony, false, cold. But it's, it's, it's true. He's alive. He's resurrected. It's this way. Okay. <clears throat> I, I thoroughly, this happens once in a while, but I thoroughly struggled with how to end this message. Just struggled. I had one ending, and I did not like it. Good thing I type them up three weeks in advance. So I didn't think about it. But even last night, I was struggling and struggling still. I was just like, this is, this is God. Come on, this is not going to work. It's not right. Something in my spirit says, not right. Had a rough night's sleep last night. I think I woke up every hour. And it was in my mind, in my mind, in my mind, in my mind. And then finally, somewhere in the middle of the night, God starts to drop the thoughts that I was looking for but I didn't know what they were until he dropped them in and here's how he gave me to end the message this is not in your notes because the question is if this word of God says something that's contrary to the way you think the way you view life whatever you, whichever way you lean, this or that, how you view people, how you operate in your job, how you operate as a spouse, how you operate as a parent, how you operate as a son or daughter, how, how you operate as a church person. If, if that is contrary to the way you think, then you got a problem. In Hebrews, which we don't know who the writer is, nobody knows, it could be Paul, we don't know. In Hebrews 4.12 it says, for the word of God, remember the word of God, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce to the division of soul and spirit, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So the Word of God can split our soul from our spirit. Our soul is the us. It's the way we think. Mind, will, and emotions. how we view everything. But it can split that soul and spirit. The spirit, the Holy Spirit came into us. These words are spirit and they are life. This is the way life should be lived. It's a spirit. And so the word of God can split that in half. Where you sit there and you realize the way I think, the way I view things, the way I operate, it's not lining up with the spirit. Saul is there blind for three days. His soul and his spirit are split right now. Because the voice said, I am Jesus. And everything I thought in my soul is wrong. My, this, my, the spirit now is beginning to speak to me. But it's the word of God that splits it. Oh, word of God, wow. 
John, the New Testament writer, one of the disciples, in John 1, he begins by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this Word is God. And then he defines, and, and he says, all things that were created were created by Him. So he, whoever this Word is, is the creator of everything. And then he goes on to verse 14, and he defines who the Word is. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. So now we know that this word is none other than Jesus Christ. Oh, so Jesus Christ is this word, and he's the creator who created all things. Yeah. And then it makes perfect sense now, as you go back to Genesis in the beginning, because he's the word of God. In the beginning it says, in verse 1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, the cosmological argument that there is a creator of everything that you see. But then a few verses it says, and God said. See, God spoke. That's the word. This is Jesus who always existed now. He's speaking. And he's creating. And he's creating all these things in that first week of creation so now when you put everything together Jesus who's this word not only is he the, red, the person this God in the flesh who came died on the cross rose from the dead shed his blood to forgive us of sins as, as our redeemer and savior not only that he's the creator of everything he's God who created everything that we see now guys this is important because when you put that together and this is what God's word says, what God, who created it all, and God in the flesh, who's Jesus all, who came and died for us, when he says something that's contrary to what you think, what I think, the way we view people, the way we view this, or that, which way are you going to go? Are we smarter than the creator? Which way are we going to go? When this thing tells you you're wrong in the way you're thinking, you're wrong in the way you're operating, which way are you going to go? I got an I think right now. It's an I think. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God, who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I quoted the first part in New American Standard. I quoted the last part in King James. I like that, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is the reason why I think some Christians do not want to read their Bibles because it jumps out at them and, and challenges their life. And here's the point. When you rightly divide the word, when you rightly divide the word, it rightly divides you and I. Does it not? Does it not? It divides soul from spirit and shows me I'm wrong. God's right. I'm wrong. See the scriptures? It's like an incendiary device. Just boom! If you read it, and it shows you where you're wrong. Shows me where I'm wrong. And we have all these impact events where God tries to straighten us out because in the straightening out and walking according to the scriptures, that's where abundant life is. Is it not? Is it not? I'm going to pray now. In a second, the band's going to come back out and worship a little bit more. One more song. But let's pray. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, your word 
It is living and it is active and it's sharp. And it does show us where we're wrong so that we can walk in right. Now, as you, if you were sitting in this place today or you're watching online or you're watching six months away later in the year on YouTube and you've never put your faith in Christ and you heard some things today that like, okay, maybe this thing is true. And maybe, and I hope, and I'm going to give you opportunity, maybe you'd like to place your faith in Jesus and make him your Messiah, God, and Savior, your Redeemer you've never done that before but maybe today was a little bit more convincing maybe I'm so glad for that or maybe there's somebody here that are out there and you realize man I'm sure not thinking right or walking right I need to rededicate my life and get back to that word and live that not what I think I want to lead you in a rededication also so <laughs> If you've never placed your faith in Christ or you'd like to rededicate your life, whether you're in this room, online, or watching five months down the road, I'm going to say a prayer. Everyone here is going to repeat it out loud. Everyone. Say it with them. And as you say it, you put your faith in Jesus, who is the creator and the redeemer who died on the cross for our sins, came to save us. Here we go. Repeat out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would give your life in place of mine. Forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. I place my faith in you today. I become a follower of you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Now I'm going to pray. God, I pray for anyone who said that prayer for the first time in rededication. <coughs> Friend, I hope you just follow up. Get around Christians, talk to them, get the first steps, or you can go online, and there's these first steps that you could take that are there for you too. But do it, please. You cannot walk as a solo uh, Christian, they get those types get picked off, and the mind begins to warp a little bit away from Scripture, and it's a fact. We need each other, but I do pray that you're going to come to know the love of God <laughs> deeper and deeper with each passing month and year, because God does love you. And because now you're a son and daughter of God, you're blessed. You're blessed. Do not doubt your salvation, but walk in the security of knowing that you're God's kid now. That when you die, you go to eternity, you go to heaven. But walk with him. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.